1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Good morning to you, Dr. Adelnik. Good morning. How are you? Hey, we're doing well, Michael. It's so good to have you here. Uh, we love when you come and and help educate us and teach us a few things. And and we went back and we took a look at one of the the sayings that you have about reading the Bible. Let me see if I can quote you. <clears throat> this is Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Ah. If the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. It's like the Rydelnik rule number one about reading scripture. Well, actually, I didn't make that up. I oh, stole really? that. I don't know even from whom. Yeah. I, I heard Charlie Dyer say it too. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say the nonsense, but he said yeah. plain sense makes sense. Stick with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I don't want to take credit for that. I, I'll tell you right now. Nick's first rule of Bible interpretation, right now. Okay, well, this is what I take credit for. You ready? Okay. Yeah. In order, in order to understand the Bible, you must read it. There we go. Man, earth shattering. <laughs> ah. That that sounds so silly, but the truth of it is that so many people read all about the Bible, but don't actually read the text. Mm. The, the best place to start is with the text. Wow. And just thank you so much yeah. just for that reminder, because uh, I'd like to bounce off of that right now, because so many people think something's in Scripture, but it's actually not. And you address something like that in your blog from Saturday, as uh, we're looking back to uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day, which was Friday, and you wrote on that, and mm-hmm. uh, what you wrote was truly powerful. But you talked about something that we, I think, as Christians take as fact, but isn't actually scripturally in there about Abraham, and it's all his fault anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know what it is, is that there was a terrorist assault against Jewish people worshiping on the Sabbath mm-hmm. on the anniversary of Holocaust Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the And uh, so we were talking about the Arab, I was writing about the Arab-Israeli conflict mm-hmm. in light of that, more particularly that terrorist act. But okay. anyway, the many people, I saw in a blog that day or a posting that day, that this goes all the way back to Abraham's bad choice to take Hagar. It absolutely does not go back there. Uh, the The Bible does say that uh, there would be 12 tribes that would come from Ishmael, but it doesn't say that they would be Arab tribes. It doesn't say anything about Ishmael being the father of the Arab peoples. Nothing mm. about that whatsoever. In fact, when he goes back, with, when he and his mom leave in Genesis 21, they go back near Egypt, not near Arabia. And what's so significant about that is that uh, this is from the Quran. The idea that Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples is 2,700 years after Abraham, 
the Quran comes up with this idea in order to say, no, no, uh, Isaac is not the father or the, the promised one. Ishmael is, and by the way, he's our father. It's all made up. It's 2,700 years later. And no one that I know of that loves the Bible says, yeah, the, the Quran is the accurate reflection of any facts. Mm. Uh, it is a, it's a Islamic attempt to supersede the Jewish promises that God made uh, in the in the Old Testament. Mm. So, and they also say that uh, Muhammad was descendant of Ishmael. Is that yeah. is that true, or is that just part of the whole idea that he's of that lineage that was made that up. was? It's chosen. Quranic okay. story. It's not. There's no factuality to it. So okay. Uh, yeah, I just think it's so interesting. I I was once teaching this at a church right after nine eleven. This came up, and I was teaching, and boy. This, this man who had served as a missionary in the Muslim world got really mad at me. And he started yelling, you know. Huh. And I said, well, you know, I'm sorry that, to disappoint you, but read the text. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he went, the next week he came back, he said, well, I did some research and I did check these encyclopedias and I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but you were right. I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't shout that, though, to everyone. He only shouted he said, when He said wrong. that very quietly. Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and if I might just ask one more question about this. Again, there was this terrorist attack, but you had talked about uh, the narrative that is being put out there that is actually a false, and you talked about that in your blog as well. Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, uh, what it is is the idea that uh, Israel went into Janine and— uh, there was a firefight, and that caused this terrorist attack. The truth of it was there was a terrorist attack being planned by extremists, by m- terrorists. Let's just call them what they are. Okay. And Israeli troops went in to arrest them before they could carry out the terrorist attack. They responded with gunfire rather than accept arrest. It turned into a firefight. Nine people were killed, eight of whom were armed terrorists not not uh, uh sadly there was apparently some uh, uh an innocent that was got caught in the cross crossfire and was mm-hmm. killed but eight of the nine were shooting and that they were the ones that were killed and to to justify uh a terrorist attack because israel was trying to prevent a terrorist attack that just doesn't go together mm-hmm. uh and, you know, it, people, the media loves to portray things as just a cycle of violence. But the cycle could end instantly. Uh, if the Palestinians would accept, there's been multiple attempts to grant them a state going back to before 1947. And they never accept because they do not want to partition or compromise about the land. The, the adage goes this way. Uh, if, if the Palestinians would lay down their weapons, there would be no more war or terrorism. But if Israel laid down her weapons, there'd be no more Israel. And Mm. that is the problem that we're facing now. Uh, But the media doesn't like that story, so it's always a cycle of violence. Mm. Well, that's important for us to just get that background and to get that understanding. And uh, for those who are traveling to Israel, I just wanted to follow. We have a, a person. Oh a yeah, we have a trip. Here. Um, JC is Gross safe? is in Israel actually right now, and then of course um, we are offering a flyaway contest. I'm sure people may have questions about 
what to expect in, in those terms. Because yeah. violence happens there all the time. It's just an ebb and flow, you know. Yeah. So well, you see, the anything thing is, you would the, want the, to the, share. There isn't a ton of violence in Israel. It's much safer to go to Israel than it is to go to Chicago or even downtown Chattanooga. If you look at okay. the statistics, uh, the, uh, the <laughs> I always tell people, you know, like Charlie Dyer, Charlie Dyer would always say that when he lived in Chicago, he was always afraid when he would go to Israel. But when he finally got to O'Hare Airport, and got on the plane, then he knew he was safe. But it's those highways here in Chicago that were scary. Yeah. And uh, the the truth of it is that Israel has uh, great security, and uh, th- there's nothing nothing to fear about going to Israel. But just like any place in the world, there's going to be an occasional mm-hmm. violent act. But uh, tourists are very secure and safe, and nothing to worry about. And when when I bring people to Israel, uh, we are on guard every day about where potential flare-ups might ever be, and we never go near them. So mm-hmm. All right. uh, we have contacts on the ground making sure that we know. And uh, Michael, just there's a couple of questions that came in, and here's one that we're actually holding over for you. Um, okay. And here's the question. It's, does the Bible say that there will be a cashless society during the tribulation? Oh, that, that has to do with... Uh, the mark of the beast, that mm-hmm. people won't be able to uh, d- uh, do business without the mark of the beast. The problem is, A, we don't know what the mark of the beast is, and B, it doesn't say that there won't be cash, it's just saying you can't do business, maybe that's just an identification that allows you, sort of like the old days when we would write checks and we'd have to show our license, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't write checks so much today, but... Uh, I remember going to the grocery store, writing a check, and having to show my license. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe the mark of the beast is something that you have to show, something you scan. Who knows what it is? Uh, no one knows. So it doesn't mean that there's no cash. It just means that uh, you need that to to engage in, in business. Okay. 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 So thank you for that. There's a lot of unknowns in that. And then another yeah. question, is the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation symbolic of meaning a lot, or is it an actual uh, number? Well, you know, th- there are a lot of numbers used in the book of Revelation. And generally speaking, those numbers are literal. When you think how many churches are there that the book is written to, Seven churches. doesn't mean, you know, a lot of churches. It just means seven churches, and they're specified. Uh, There are seven bowl judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven seal judgments. That actually means those judgments. Uh, And so when we come to the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe, I don't see any reason not to take that as literal, that there are going to be 12,000 Jewish people from each tribe. People say, we don't know what tribe they're from. Of course not, but God knows, and mm. he's going to seal them. It's not, we don't seal them, God seals them. And so I I think taking that as in its normal sense, that these are Jewish people who believe in Jesus, 12,000 from each tribe who are servants of God during the tribulation, I don't see any reason not to take that uh, at face value. Okay, because okay. there are some, Michael, that, that take a look at whenever there's a number that's listed, they're wondering, is that a true number? Is that exactly what we're supposed to do? Or is it literal or is it figurative? They, they have a hard time wrapping our brain. Yeah. Is there a way as we're reading the text to know if it is a literal number or a figurative number? Well, generally, if there's going to be something that's not literal, 
there's something in the text that tells us that it's not literal. Uh, yeah. But th- there's nothing in these, like even the people who argue about Revelation 20, that Jesus will reign on earth for a thousand years. And that just means for a long, 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 long time. Uh, no, it means a thousand years. <laughs> that's it. Okay. You know, uh, I, th- I think, let's go back to where we started today. If the plain sense makes sense, mm. seek no other sense lest it result in nonsense. nonsense. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So. I think this would be a good one to follow up with the, the question about um, the Holocaust. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Uh, our conversation was surrounding um, kind of the Holocaust Remembrance Day. And uh, it's it's an interesting question. I'm just going to share it with you right now. Michael says, will the six million Jews who were slaughtered in the Holocaust go to hell, even if they didn't know Jesus? And trying to wrap my brain around how God could do something like that. You know, that that's a, a, a strange question, in my opinion. Okay. Because uh, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And... Uh, nothing else. So anyone that suffered a terrible death, think about it. There, there were massacres uh, in Cambodia, uh, in Russia, uh, in the Soviet Union, in China, uh, and in all those murders, the genocide in Africa. No one ever asked the question, will those people, because they suffered terribly, uh, end up separated from God for eternity? Uh, so I don't think that that's a, a question that we can answer. Uh, I, one of the things I just want to say uh, forever is that I have re- uh, relieved myself of my role as an associate justice of the Supreme Court of Heaven. There's only one person who will make that decision, and that's God. Now, mm-hmm. I know what the Bible says, and I also know what my mom reported to me is that they were more, she was a believer through the concentration camps, she said there were more believers that she met in concentration camp than any other place that she ever was, Jewish people who believed in Jesus. She said also people were more spiritually open, and she talked about the Lord all the time in ghetto, in the ghetto and in the concentration camp, mm. and people were responsive. Uh, another factor, uh, uh, Rachmil Friedland was a Jewish believer I knew. He's with the Lord now. Uh, he was a survivor of the Warsaw Ghetto. He talked about how there were likely uh, close to a million Jewish believers uh, that he, there was a revival, great revival in, in Eastern Europe before the Holocaust among Jewish people. He believed that up to a million Jewish people had come to the Lord in Eastern Europe. Even the Encyclopedia Judaica talks about what they call a mass apostasy of Jewish people before World War II in Hungary. Hmm. Uh, so... Uh, what does that mean? If you read what the Encyclopedia Judaica says about Hungary, it says that there was just this mass movement of Jewish people to believe in Jesus, what they call a mass apostasy. So there are many Jewish believers who perished in the Holocaust. This is also confirmed uh, in the research that uh, Mitch Glazer did. He's the president of Chosen People Ministries. His PhD dissertation was about um, Jewish missions in Europe, 1900 to 1945, and he details how effective they were and how many Messianic groups there were and how many Jewish believers there were. So I don't know how many people knew the Lord, didn't know the Lord. I'm just going to leave that in God's hands and uh, trust him that the judge of all the earth always does what is right. Oh, 
Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank That's you good. so much for that. And then uh, we do have just one last question. If we could squeeze it in, in our as our time's kind of wrapping up, uh, we have a listener who is uh, doing uh, 52 Weeks in the Word, uh, something that Trillian Newball mm-hmm. has set up. And the question is, I started Leviticus this week, and the question is, why are all these different offerings, sin offerings, peace offering, offerings, et cetera, and why are they all handled pretty much the same way? So just walking through Leviticus, trying to figure it out. <laughs> That's your Why last question handle- he has to do really quickly. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what's it yeah. about? Well, they, they, they all have different significance. Uh, the burnt offering is completely burned up. That's consecration, complete consecration. Uh, offered up in smoke, all of it, it says. Uh, the grain offering is dedication. It's acceptable service to God is what it refers to. The peace offering is a celebration meal, much like what we have today with the Lord's Supper. Oh. It's, that's a ce- celebratory meal. Uh, the, the sin offering is obviously about forgiveness uh, by faith in that what God has provided. Uh, and the, the guilt offering is a restitution offering. It, it makes restitution both to God and to the person who was offended. And so they all have a different significance. They all have a different application. But uh, they're basically what you have to do is deal with the blood. You have to deal with the guts. You have to do with stuff that way. So they, they might have some slight variation, but they do have to be dealt with. Uh, so that there's not a, you know, you, you, can, you have to have a hygienic approach uh, to get rid of the, some of those things. Thank you for that. Is that, do you have a blog about that? Because no, <laughs> please write one. I'll, I'll send you my chart on the, on the, uh, on the oh, okay. uh, laws of sacrifice. Okay. Yeah. That would be helpful. <laughs> That's yeah, great. Definitely. Cause we're, we're reading 52 weeks yeah, in the word too. So we're so. right at that point. I was wondering too about all those variations. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so much for that. And look how he was able to do that quickly. He huh. did. I'm impressed. <laughs> he is as just always. that good. His name is Dr. Michael Rydalik. He's got questions that he answers for us on Mornings with Tom and Tommy each and every Monday morning. But you can hear him every Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon right here on 88.9 Moody Radio.